research published in the Psychology of Aesthetics, Creativity, and the Arts discovered that the average person spends only 27 seconds looking at a great work of art. 27 seconds looking at a great work of art. That is an incredibly small amount of time. I wonder if Da Vinci or Rembrandt or or Picasso were there, what they would think as they watched people pass by their works of art so quickly. I wonder if if they would say, wait, 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 did did you notice the the composition uh, of my painting? Did, Did you notice my use of light and shadow? Did you pay attention to the brush strokes? Did you see the viscosity of the paint? On and on we could go. 27 seconds on a great work of art. John Calvin writes that the Lord's Supper brings the clearest promises of God. That the elements of the Lord's Supper bring such clarity, he says, because they represent the promises as if painted as a picture of life for us. The Lord's Supper, the elements of the Lord's Supper, make clear the promises of God because they are like a painting before our eyes. We need to spend a lot of time on this painting to contemplate it. 27 seconds, a cursory look is not long enough. And unlike Da Vinci or Rembrandt or Picasso, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who painted the picture for us, he's present with us as we look at the table. He is the host of the table. He is our guide who will show us more and more beauty, more and more truth about his table. If we will take just a little longer to linger and to look. So much to discover. So much to appreciate. Details to see that we might never have noticed before. Truths about Jesus that we must remember in order that we might forget. Truths about Jesus that we must remember in order that we might forget. Remember Jesus' truth. Forget all that's not true. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return once again for a third week to look at this beautiful means of grace that the Lord gives us uh, in the Lord's Supper. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And once you've found your place, let's stand together as we hear read the word of the living God. Acts 2, verse 42, this is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let's pray. Father, week by week now we come to this verse. There's so much in it for us to see, to learn, to know. Lord, so much more devotion that needs to come 
from our hearts to these means of grace, to your word, to prayer, and Lord, and to, and to your table, the supper that you have prepared for us. Bless us this morning, we pray, Lord, as we take yet another look uh, at your table. Show us more truth about it. Change our lives more through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If we consider the Lord's Supper, uh, a painting, as, as John Calvin describes it, and if we look carefully at the, the brush strokes of this painting, we see that it takes us in lots of different directions. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, that takes us to the past. The same night, Jesus said, take, eat, drink. That's the present right now. He said, I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That takes us to the future. So the table is about the past, it's about the present, and it's about the future. And we need to look at each and every one of these directions, and you know I'm going to do it. Because each one of these directions has hope to offer us, comfort to give us, security to swaddle us, strength to empower us. This morning, we're going to focus on just one direction, one stroke of the painting, and that's the one that takes us to the past. Again, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. When you eat the bread, when you drink the cup, remember me. Now it's tempting here. And perhaps we've done it a little too often to take just a quick 27-second glance at what's going on here. And we could gloss over this statement, remember me quickly, and move on to the next, because we assume we know what Jesus means by remember. We might assume it's easily done because we assume we know what Jesus means by me. We assume when Jesus says, remember me, that he simply means remember his death or that he wants us to try to, to picture him on the cross and to work up these sorrowful emotions and guilt over what Jesus suffered because of our sin. That, we might believe, is quickly done. But there's so much more to remember. What I notice in what Jesus says is that Jesus puts no limitations on me. Do this in remembrance of me. No limitations. Jesus doesn't say, remember my grace Remember my love. Remember my mercy. No limitations. But even if Jesus had limited himself to any one of these aspects of his nature, were we to try to remember just that one facet of his character, even that would consume all of our time and our ability to begin to fathom. I think of Samuel Francis. 
who was walking home one cold, rainy night. And he was struggling with his faith. And as he walked across a bridge over the Thames River, he contemplated jumping in, committing suicide. A voice in his head told him, go ahead and just put an end to all this misery. But Samuel didn't give in to the voice. He did not jump and said the Spirit of God was at work. And he affirmed his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I wonder this. I wonder if when Samuel looked down at that rushing water beneath him, he remembered the love of God. I don't know whether he did or not. But I do know this. Samuel went on to write, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of his love. So if Jesus meant by remember me that we should remember his love, we would still be overwhelmed by that, right? Overwhelmed as Samuel was trying to describe and grasp the love of God for him. That's just the love of Christ. How about the mercy of Christ? The holiness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, the justice of Christ, the goodness of Christ, on and on and on we could go. The me here, when Jesus says, remember me, it's as boundless as the person to whom it refers, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so look, if you and I were to come to the Lord's Supper, Every single day of our lives, for the rest of our lives, still we wouldn't have time to fully comprehend and experience the me that Jesus calls us to remember. In speaking about some of the Old Testament customs and rituals and laws, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance, the reality, belongs to Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1, he writes, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Christ is the true reality of of all things. Try to get your mind around that. The substance of all things. Every promise, every promise God has ever made finds its yes in Christ Try to get your mind around that. I promise you this, you won't be able to do it in 27 seconds. And yes, this is the me that Jesus calls us to remember. So I want to do that now. I want us to take a a few moments to remember. And to remember really well, we need to go back. We need to go way back to begin to understand the fullness of the me that Jesus calls us to remember. And we need to remember so that we can forget. We need to remember what is true so that we might forget what's not true. So I'm going to do that this morning by exploring very briefly the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord whom we see 
so often in the scriptures of the Old Testament. Now follow along. Many scholars believe, and I agree, not that I'm a scholar, but nevertheless I agree with the scholars, that whenever we read the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, it is uh, a manifestation or a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ before he came to earth. The reasons for believing this are because whenever the angel of the Lord appears, he speaks as God. He identifies himself with God. He does the things that God does. He has the attributes of God. In some of the appearances of the angel of the Lord, he's worshipped as if he were God. People who encounter the angel of the Lord believe they're going to die. Because that's what people believed would happen to them if they ever saw the Lord. The angel of the Lord is often referred to or addressed as Lord, which means that he's not a created being like the other angels, which means most likely he is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity whose role it is to come to earth. Did you follow that? The angel of the Lord. That's just a quick explanation. But look. Even if you don't believe that it's a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ, it still remains undeniable by anyone that whenever God takes human form in the Old Testament, it unquestionably foreshadows the incarnation when God will take on human flesh, when he will come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to become our Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, we're going to look at just two instances of the angel of the Lord. I'm just saying to you, you have no idea, no idea what it took me to limit myself to two. You have no idea what I had to cut out. But nevertheless, two should be sufficient. We're going to take us first to the, to the first occurrence of the angel of the Lord, and it's found in Genesis chapter 16. And it's the story of Hagar. And if you don't know Hagar's story, I'm going to reduce it very quickly to just this. Hagar is a young, unmarried woman who's expecting a child. She has suffered severe domestic abuse. Hagar believed it was better to run away than to remain in her present abusive situation. So Hagar runs off into the wilderness, and we pick up her story in verse 7 of Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness. And he said, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. 
So Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a seeing God. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. So you see why the angel of the Lord is considered to be the pre-incarnate Christ. Here he is in human form. He speaks as God. He promises what only God can promise. Hagar unquestionably believes that she's seen God. She even gives him a name. You are a seeing God. I have seen the Lord who looks after me. And so this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Here with Hagar. The one who says, remember me. And so what do you and I remember then about Jesus, the truth about him, in order that we might forget what's untrue? Well, here's what we remember when we remember Jesus. He is the Lord who always sees us. That's what's true. He's the Lord who always looks after us. That's what's true. And so you and I can then forget what is untrue. And here's what's untrue. That we are all alone. Untrue. That we are unknown. Untrue. That we are invisible. Especially in our suffering. Not true. Remember me, says Jesus. Remember that I see. I am the God who sees. What else did the pre-incarnate Christ say to Hagar? He said, the Lord has listened to your afflictions. Remember me, says Jesus. Remember, I am the one who listens, who hears. And if you and I remember that truth, we can forget what's not true. We can forget the belief that God does not hear our cries. We can forget the belief that God has a ten ear or that he turns a deaf ear to you and me. Not true. So the Lord's Supper, when we come and remember Christ, it reminds us that we're not alone. It reminds us that we have a Savior who sees, a Savior who hears, a Savior who is present with us even in our suffering and affliction. Remember me says Jesus. The next instance, Exodus 3. You'll know this story well. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the mists of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Here's the pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord 
the second person of the Godhead present with Moses at the burning bush. Perhaps the flames of the fire radiate from his glory and conceal the full glory of the angel of the Lord from the sight of Moses. But here's the message of the angel of the Lord from the burning bush. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt Egypt, and have heard their cry. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. I have come down to deliver them. Remember me, says Jesus. I am your deliverer. Jesus has always been a deliverer. What are those things in your life from which you most need to be delivered? Attitudes, abuses, addictions, oppressions, depressions. I could list here the whole gamut of sin, the whole gamut of emotional and spiritual distress that can plague our lives. When Jesus says, remember me, we have to remember the truth. That he's our deliverer. That he alone can deliver us. We have to remember that truth so we can forget what is untrue. And what is untrue is that you and I can or should deliver ourselves Do you believe that to be untrue? You cannot deliver yourself. I cannot deliver myself. Colossians 1. Christ has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Look, we can't transfer ourselves out of one kingdom to the other. We can't deliver ourselves. So we come to the table of the Lord to remember that Jesus can and to seek him at the table. Remember me, says Jesus, I am your deliverer. Therefore, you are delivered. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Lord wants us to be delivered. The Lord wants us to run free. But listen, we have to earnestly seek Him. We have to Remember him. We have to believe him for that deliverance, that freedom. And all the time and all the attention and all the resources that you and I spend trying to deliver ourselves, and we spend a lot of time doing that, or seeking someone else to deliver us. No, we give that time and attention, those resources to Christ. Remember me, says Jesus I am your deliverer. 
I'm going to close with this. You and I are not the only ones who forget in order to remember. We're not the only ones who forget in order to remember. God does as well. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. Hebrews 8, 12. God says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. Hebrews 12. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. And you know why God forgets? You know why? God forgets because he remembers. He looks at the one who is seated beside him. His son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe the son says to the father, remember me. And the father remembers Christ's finished work on the cross. And God, our Father, then remembers what's true. That he now freely forgives us and gladly accepts us because of Jesus. Is that good news? He forgets what is no longer true. It's untrue. That you and I are required to pay for our own sins. And so God remembers so that he can forget. Hebrews 1. After making purification for sins, Christ sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Forgiveness. Full. Final. Remember me. I pray you'll see how much there is in the me that represents Christ. Why we must linger and look and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. The table of the Lord, the Christ that it represents. This morning is only a drop in the bucket. There's so much more to remember. But for now, let the memory of the past, who Jesus has been and always was, let that memory transform this present moment for you right now. Jesus says, remember me. Remember, he is the one who is present. He always has been. The one who comes to his people. Remember, he always looks after you. Remember, his watching eyes, his listening ears, and his delivering hands. Remember me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus,
Help us to remember you. Simply, we pray. There's so much of you to know. May we never tire of giving our attention and our resources to knowing you, to remembering who you are more and more and more. Father, I just would ask that as each of us looks at our lives, how we spend our time and our energy and our resources, convict us, Lord, when too much of that goes to other things other than you, to self-delivery, to looking toward others to deliver us. Lord, convict our hearts so that more and more we remember you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.